For those of you who don't know me, my name's Steve. Uh, I'm also one of the pastors here. And um, we're starting a brand new teaching series today. Um, this is a teaching series that's going to take us right through uh, the summer. And um, we're going to be in the book of Acts uh, and just looking at the first 11 chapters. And uh, so hopefully it's going to be a fun time together as we open up this portion of the Bible together. I really encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's probably a good place to bring it. Um, Whether you've got a real Bible uh, or you've got it on some sort of device, uh, I'd encourage you to have your Bibles with you as we step through this book together. We're calling this series Unstoppable. Uh, And the idea is that, um, you know, the book of Acts documents the sto- not only the story of the Holy Spirit coming, but also the birth of this thing we call the church. It's where the church began. And um, the reality is, is that the events that take place in this book um, really lay the foundations of just 2,000 years of church history. The things that happen in this book, in the scriptures, just just outline and and prepare the way for everything else that has happened. You and I are sitting in this room today because of what happened in this book. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? That that something that happened 2,000 years ago means that you and I get to be in a room like this and worship the Lord together. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to dive straight in. Acts chapter 1. Uh, It's after the Gospels, if you don't know where that is. And uh, we're just going to look at the first nine verses this morning. And uh, it says this. um, It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I've been practicing that all week, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So let's just pause there a moment. The book of Acts uh, is actually a sequel. It's, it's part two of another book, or another letter at least. Uh, a letter written to this guy called Theo. And, um, and, and so the first, the first letter was, was, a, was a book in the Bible we called Luke. And, and so these two letters are written by this doctor uh, called Luke. He was an educated man. He really understood the region that he was in. He had a good grasp of the geography uh, of the places that he describes. And he says that, you know, in, the, in his first letter, the book of what we call the book of Luke, he describes everything that Jesus did to the point of, of death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And then he says, and, 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 and so in this, in this letter, I want to tell you about everything that happened after that took place, uh, after Jesus ascended. And so he says, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken uh, to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so... For 40 days, Jesus hangs out with his uh, disciples, his friends, uh, in his resurrected body, and he teaches them about this thing called the kingdom. 
I don't know if you've ever noticed that 40 is a significant number in the scriptures. You know, uh, when Jesus, before Jesus started his ministry, he, he fasted and he prayed in the wilderness for 40 days, didn't he? Or maybe in the Old Testament we see the story of Noah. And uh, Noah builds this ark and it says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of you look like you know what I'm talking about. Um, so this, this number 40 has uh, some significance uh, throughout the scriptures. And so for 40 days in his resurrected body, Jesus goes and he teaches about the kingdom. And so as we, this, is, this is kind of a passage in Acts that kind of gets skipped over. Uh, it's one of those passages that I've been reading all week and just think, what am I meant to do with this, um, if I'm honest? But, um, you know, because we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to Acts chapter 2. That's where all the good stuff happens. Um, but Acts chapter 1, as we unpack this, I think there's, there's three things that we can, we can get from this. Um, first of all, there's, there's, we see that there's a message of hope. There's hope restored. And then we see there's this sense of calling that's upon Jesus' first followers. And then we see a fulfillment of experience. And so that's the three things that I want us to think about. Hope, calling, and experience. And so, you know, if, if, you, were, if you were Jesus and you've got 40 days in your resurrected body, you know, the kind of body that can walk through walls... Kind of exciting, isn't it? Um, you know, that can just appear in places. What would you do? What would you do? How would you spend your time? Who would be the people you went to see? We see throughout the, in other parts of the scriptures, it documented that Jesus went to see a number of different people and he encountered a number of people over that 40-day period. And I think actually it's quite revealing about the character of God, the kind of people that he, he went to. And so who were they? Who were the people they went to? Well, in Luke 24, we see Jesus stumbles across two people who are walking along a road. They're walking away from the city to a place called Emmaus. And these, these two people have been followers of Jesus. Some scholars would say that they were a couple, a married couple, husband and wife. And uh, they're leaving the city of Jerusalem and going to Emmaus. And, um, and, 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 and so these guys are walking away from the city. They're walking away from the movement of God that they've been involved in. And why are they doing that? It's because they're discouraged. You know, this, this guy that they've put all their trust in, they've put all their hope in, it's all gone horribly wrong. He's been crucified. He's, he's dead. The, 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 the revolution, the, the change that we were expecting, it's not going to take place now. And so they're, they're feeling despondent. They're, they're pretty discouraged by what's, what's taken place. And as they are walking down this road, this stranger approaches them and they begin to talk about what's going on. And they say to this stranger, they say, but we hoped that he would be the one who redeemed Israel. But we 
hoped. But it hasn't turned out the way we thought it would. It's not happened. And then they end, stop it, they end up stopping with a stranger and having a meal. And then this wonderful picture happens where, where they suddenly realize this, who this stranger is. For some reason, they didn't recognize him up until this point. And it says, then Jesus broke the bread. And it revealed who he was. Some Bible commentators say that the reason why they suddenly realized who Jesus was was because as he, as he bent his arms up to break the bread, they saw the scars. They saw the wounds. And they realized it was revealed to them that this was Jesus. And this has a profound impact on these, these two people. It says, it says, we were, were not our hearts burning within us whilst he was talking to us along the road and opening up the scriptures to us. There's this, this revelation that comes to them that Jesus has, has risen. And so these two discouraged, disappointed followers of Jesus have a moment, they have a Bible study with God and something changes. They rekindle hope. Hope is restored. The next person that Jesus encounters in this 40-day period is Peter. And uh, we all know what's happened to Peter, don't we? Peter has, has kind of failed uh, spectacularly. He's, um, you know, he's failed in ministry. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. He said, no, I won't, Jesus. And he denies Jesus. And so what does Peter do? He, he goes back to what he knows best. He goes back to fishing. That's, that's what he knew what to do best. And, and so Jesus finds him back in this place where he was three years ago. You know, when Jesus first called Peter, he found him as a fisherman and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then three years later, Peter fails. He's broken and he goes back to fishing. But then he encounters Jesus and, and Jesus looks in his eyes and says, hey, Peter, what are you doing back here? And guess what, Peter? I still want you to be a fisher of men. You're still on my team. I'm still really for you. You're still one of my guys. And hope is restored. Another person was Thomas, famously known as the doubter. And he, he doubted because, you know, he said, you know, unless I put my fingers in the wounds, I won't believe he's resurrected. And so Jesus appears to Thomas and, and Thomas gets his proof. He gets his proof. Anybody know what happened to Thomas? Thomas was the only apostle to leave the Roman Empire. He actually ended up in India. And he, he, he spread the gospel in that region and died a martyr's death. See, during this 40-day period, Jesus has encounters with these people and, and somehow takes cynics and, and people who are doubting and discouraged and he turns them into people who are willing to lay their lives down for the sake of his kingdom. He just takes these, these ordinary people. The fourth group of people Jesus encounters are the disciples. And I'm going to need the other microphone because this is going to die. 
The fourth people. Oh, I have control. So the fourth group of people that Jesus encounters are his disciples, and they're scared. They're locking themselves away in a room. You know, I imagine they're kind of like hiding under the bed. They, they've got furniture propped up against the door, and they, they've devised a secret knock so you know who's coming. It's all Monty Python to me. And, um, and so Jesus, if you were Jesus right now, maybe you would feel a little bit discouraged. You know, the team that you've been working with for the last three years, even though they knew, because he told them what was going to happen, they're all this kind of they're all these kind of cynical, discouraged, despondent, and slightly terrified bunch of people. Let me ask you something. Do any of those people sound familiar to you? Any of us know any cynics? Any of us know anybody who's been discouraged or a little bit despondent? Any of us know anyone who's been fearful at any time? You see, the, the people Jesus chooses to launch his church with are people like you and me. He doesn't choose the rock stars, does he? He he doesn't just go to the the good-looking people. He chooses people like you and me. N.T. Wright, he says this, Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It is a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible. Options are not shut down, but new creation can happen. And so the picture we see at the start of this passage is, 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 a, is Jesus choosing a bunch of really disappointed, discouraged, fearful people. And he's calling them to be part of this amazing movement of God. He calls them into it. And you know, the fruit of those people's lives are you and me? That's pretty good going, isn't it? From a bunch of failures, a bunch of discouraged people. The fruit of that is the, the millions and millions of people who have come to know Jesus. That's pretty fruitful ministry. I, I wouldn't mind having that on my resume. You know, I'm a discouraged doubter. I'm slightly cynical sometimes. But guess what? The thing that Jesus did through me means the the whole earth came to know Christ. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good going, isn't it? And so hope is rekindled in these men and women. Hope is is reborn. And then we see a sense of calling. Verse four. On one occasion, whilst they were eating with him, that's good to know, isn't it? Resurrected bodies can eat. Uh, that's good to know. Um, he gave them this this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And verse 8, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before the ver- their very eyes in a cloud and hid from them from, from their sight. Now this passage is kind of loaded with lots of stuff, okay? There's, there's lots of things being said in this passage that Luke assumes the readers will understand. And so, you know, the context that he's, he's writing in, he's writing to a Jewish audience, and um, there's, there's something being said here that they can parallel to something that happened in the Old Testament. And so, um, you know, for us reading this 2,000 years later, we can miss it. We can miss what's being said. You know, um, it's, it's a bit like, you know, I don't know. I'm going, I'm going to America soon, and um, I dread going through American customs because they're just a nightmare. Um, but that's because we live in a post-9-11 era, don't we? And, and you know, we say a post-9-11 era, and we know that means hell at airports, okay? But if you imagine saying that to someone a thousand years from now, that'd be, what's 9-11? What's an airport? Yeah. And so there's, there's something being said here that 2,000 years ago we can miss com- completely. You see, what happens here is paralleled with something that happens in the Old Testament between two people, Elijah uh, and Elijah. Two Old Testament characters. Now, you'll know Elijah was this super prophet. You know, he called fire down from heaven. He did all these amazing things. He had this amazing anointing uh, from God. And uh, uh, Elisha was his disciple. He was someone who followed him. And on one occasion, he, he turns to Elijah and he says, he says, he says what you've got, I want a double portion. Okay? So whatever God's given you, whatever he's put in you, I want, I want that and I want it two times. Okay? Not too greedy. Um, I, want, I want twice as much. And, and, and Elijah turns to him and says, well, you, you, if you receive that, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But if you are there when I ascend, you will get what you ask for. See what's going on? If you're there when I ascend, you'll get what you've asked for. And so when Jesus ascends into heaven, all these people knew exactly what was going on. That this was that Elijah, Elisha thing going on again. And those who were there are going to receive a double portion. Those who, who saw him ascend are going to receive a double portion. Now, I imagine Elisha was like a, an overexcited intern. You know, he kind of just wants, he just wants all that he can get. But the disciples, the disciples being there when Jesus ascends, it represents something far more important about God's grace. 
that God, that Jesus ascends into heaven, and it's not it's not a double portion for another prophet, but it's a double portion, a, an outpouring of the Spirit for an undeserving group of people, people who didn't deserve it. In John fourteen twelve, it says this: "Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing." And they will do even greater things than these because I go to be with the Father. And so it's here again, we see this promise of a double portion. (laughs) That because Jesus goes to be with the Father, we're left behind to do his work and we're going to do greater works than him. And some of us find that really hard to believe. How can we do greater things than than Jesus. Is that even possible? Could we do that? Sure it is. You know, just think about the massive number of people who have come to know Jesus since Jesus ascended into heaven. A few more than were in that upper room. Yeah? In the continent of Africa, In the year 1900, there were 10 million Christians. A hundred years later, there was 360 billion. See, there's a promise of greater things, isn't there? Because Jesus ascends to the Father, we get to do the greater things. We get to see the greater things happen. Now, you would think in light of that, Jesus would command them to go. Okay, guys, you, you see me ascend. Here's your double portion. Go. But he doesn't. He actually says, wait. He says, wait. He says, wait, because something is going to happen. Something in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to them to wait because they're going to receive a power source that's not been available to them to this point. And it says, and then, once you've received that, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Notice the order there. It's power and then witnesses. Yeah. You'll receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. How many of us try and be witnesses without power? Or worse too, how many of us try to be witnesses with an old experience of power? Living on a past experience of power. And so that leads to the the third thing. That this was a this was this idea of of a new experience for these disciples. They they received hope, they they received a calling but they also experienced something new. Verse 4 says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is referring to the events of Pentecost, which we will get to next week. Okay, so you'll have to come back. And... um, And what happens there? He's referring to the fact that if you wait, this promise will come. 
So how many people were in the upper room on Pentecost? Not a trick question. Go on. 120. Someone said to me once, all. They were all there. Yeah. That's right. They were all there. (laughs) 120. 120. If you've got a Bible, why don't you flip over to 1 Corinthians 15 quickly. And verse 5. And this is Paul describing some of these similar events where Jesus is around for this 40-day period. And it says, he he appears to Cephas, this is verse 5, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. I read this the other day, and I was like, what? I totally forgot this. He appears to 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. And so the assumption is, for this 40-day period where Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and he's restoring hope, he's, he's restoring their calling, is that he speaks to a vast number of people, even 500 people, at the same time. So 500 people heard what Jesus had to say. But only 120 showed up. So 500 people heard, but only 120 showed up. That means 380 people heard something, but 120 experienced something. 380 received information, but 120 had an experience. And so the challenge is, as we come to, a, come to land, is um, which group are you in? Which group are you in? You know, are you in the group that, that heard the information? Or are you in the group that experienced all that God had to bring? You see, Jesus says, wait. Wait for the promise. Wait for the thing that the Father has promised. You'll experience power. You'll experience the work of the Spirit in your life. Now, sometimes we can miss that, can't we? Sometimes we can miss the opportunity for the moment for the Holy Spirit to come and just impact our lives. Some of us can come here week after week and you can hear us from the front say, come Holy Spirit. And we can invite people to receive and, and receive all that the Lord wants to give them. And some of you can be really passive and choose to just stay on the sidelines. Maybe you even judge others who do come because you think, you know what? Didn't they go up last week? Didn't they get prayer last week? Didn't they get filled with the Holy Spirit last week? And we can become a little bit jaded. We can even stand and be judgmental. Do you know the biggest difference between the 120 and the 380? The 120 showed up. The 120 responded. They all heard what Jesus had to say, but the 120 
responded. They made space. They made space to receive all that the Holy Spirit had for them in that moment. I guess the question is, is will, will we do the same? Will we be those kinds of people that kind of put ourselves out to, to, to experience and receive all that the Lord wants? How many of us know, okay, how many of us know, let me put it this way, that we need the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How many of us know that? Some of us. And so as we, um, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to invite the band back. As we continue to worship, I guess the challenge is, is that are we going to be someone who hears or will we be people who respond? Will we simply hear what Jesus has to say or will we respond to what he wants to do? And so in the midst of our worship, we're going to worship for a little bit longer now. And as we worship, if you want to respond, if you want to receive what the Holy Spirit has for you right now, because it might have been different to last week and it might be different to next week, but if you want to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you now, I just want you to come to this side. In the midst of our worship, there's going to be people available to pray. We train 19 people to pray this week, and some of you are here. Okay, so if you're not receiving this week, you're on the ministry team. Um, um, but yeah, why don't you stand? We're going to worship. If you want to receive this morning, come come to my, my right-hand side. We're going to have people who are going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and give you all that you need this morning.